Welcome back to Killer Fun. I'm Christy. I'm Jackie. And we're so glad you're back with us today. Today, we're going to talk about Dexter, which Jackie had never seen, and I was certain she was going to like, and I was right. Oh, you were more than right. I love being Because right. I don't like it. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. And we were just going to watch the first episode and talk about it, and I'm definitely on season three now. Oh, so wow, you really have like... I have... You've dived in head first. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so good. All we're going to talk about today is the pilot episode. And man, it's such a good show. And I know it's been years since it's been on, but it's so worth a really good binge watch. Yeah. Absolutely. It it flows really well from one episode to the other. Yes. Um, but it doesn't just feel like a really long movie. So, no, like, there's others right. out there, like, for instance, The Killing. I yes. watched that, but then over time, you're just like, it just feels like an, a forever long movie. There's no... Fair. I don't know. It just... After a while, I just got super bored. But this one, okay. it's not formulaic as much as it is at least episodic enough that I enjoy watching each episode. Yeah. But there's a through line that is far more substantial than like your typical formula drama crime show. Yes. Yes. And I mean, there's all, cause there's different murders every episode and you know, yeah. so, and there's different crime things that are happening. It was really, I like the fact that it maybe takes two or three episodes per like some of the through lines. Yeah. Right. So you don't have to open it and shut it. You know, right. but maybe in three episodes, you're not so much talking about that particular murder right. anymore. Right. Or, and then there are some that are contained to a single episode. There are some stories that are contained to a single episode. There's some that are two or three episodes. And then there's some that are season longer, longer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it too. I think it's a really smart way to write crime entertainment. It's different. It's a little funny. It's still kind of dark. I realize that's something I have to have. I've got to have humor. Yeah. I don't like it when shows are so, so dark. And I mean, literally dark as in it's shot in a darkness. You know, yes. I, I don't like that because you know what? Crime and and dark thoughts happen in the bright daylight. Yes. It doesn't doesn't even feel real. I mean, yeah. it's not Gotham City, y'all. <laughs> you know? And so there's some shows out there I'm like, this is just you're trying too hard. You're trying yeah. too hard. But Dexter and Bright Sun, Miami. Well, and that's what Yes, great. exactly. And it doesn't always happen like that. I mean, of course, if it's nighttime and the sun's not up, well that would be dark. But yes. you know, or if it's a rainy cloud day, but just to have this overarching, in FX7, which we talked about, Mm -hmm. a little dark. And that was one thing I said I didn't like about it as much. I think it could do with a little bit more flooding of light. Yes, but the climax of that movie was in the bright Bright sun. So I liked how they kind of flipped it there. True. Yeah. Very true. So, and even in Dexter, when they do stuff at night, there's big floodlights. There is. Everything's well lit. Mm-hmm. So that's a good thing. Yeah. So shall we summarize this episode? Yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's talk about it. some of the important things that happen in this episode or that we need to know about the series. So it's a Showtime original show that's currently streaming on Showtime Anytime or Show Anytime. 
Show I, anytime. Show I think. anytime. I think is the technical or Netflix, which is where we watched it. It ran from 2006 to 2013. Uh, it's set in Miami, Florida, but filmed in Long Beach, California. Stars Michael C. Hall, who is most famous for Dexter and Six Feet Under, which was an HBO show, which is also amazing. It's really, really good. And his sister, Jennifer, uh, well, his sister in the show, not his real life sister. Right. Because that would be weird. Because Uh, they were married for a time. Yes. So that would have been really weird. During this, Jennifer Carpenter, she was... Emily Rose in The Exorcism of Emily Rose in 2005. And she also had a small part, I thought this was kind of funny, in the 2004 Wayans Brothers movie White Chicks. Okay, I saw that listed on the (laughs) IMDb. Uh Uh-huh. And I thought, what? Really? Uh," And I just couldn't click it. But I don't know what she played. Lisa? Okay. Was the character's name? I don't know. I never saw that movie because that kind of like dumb borderline racist humor doesn't appeal to me. It was kind of funny. And was I it? felt fully ashamed. <laughs> and so I never revisited it. But it was really hysterical. <laughs> well, yeah, because they're like FBI agents and they're dressing up as white women to infiltrate yeah. something. And it's just hysterical. But I, it is. It's horrible. And never watch it again. Okay. But, you know, on a dark night when you hate yourself and you need a little pick-me-up, it might not be a bad decision. But it's not, not a done, good movie. I'm not done hating myself, but I also want to laugh. <laughs> That's a great choice for that night. It's true. Good to know. It's true. But, okay, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, that was a great movie. Okay. And um, I have to tell you that I... Knew she looked familiar and could not place it. And I, I resorted to Google and uh-huh. I was like, oh, it's her. Oh my gosh. She did great in that movie. Yeah. Cool. Good. Well, I'm glad it was good. It starts with a man cruising for something in a car. We're not entirely sure what he's cruising for. And then we learn he's cruising for a man named Mike Donovan. Mike seems like a perfectly fine person. The cruiser abducts him so we end up in this marshy area and there's graves dug and we assume the grave is for mike except that there's three yeah but you know maybe there's something else going on here right we saw him kissing a woman and two children at this event that he was at in a park where we first see him so who knows how deep this goes except we find out no no these are the graves as children that Mike has murdered little boys he's been murdering. So Donovan pleads, I couldn't help myself. Please, you have to understand. And we get Dexter. Trust me, I definitely understand. See, I can't help myself either. And you're like, oh, that's so good. And then we get Dexter introducing himself to us. He's our narrator, much like we saw in you. Right, there's a self-moderation going on there. Yes. So we learned some things about Dexter pretty quickly. He was a foster kid who was adopted. His adopted father, Harry, knew that Dexter was different and kind of broken from a really young age and really wanted to help him channel his dark desires. Yeah, and this is a part of the episode that is kind of shocking, I think, Uh because, because Harry... As the foster parent, I mean, 
he shows a little bit of freak out, right? But then he does. He comes in and he, he becomes a big part of the voice in Dexter's head as the episode continues. Yeah. So this is this is a really cool part of the show, I think. Yeah, I th- I thought it was really well done too, and it just spoke to the love that Harry had for Dexter that. As a police officer, he understood that he wasn't going to be able to fix Dexter. Yeah. And he knew more about Dexter's past than Dexter even knew. And being a cop, he knew more about people like Dexter than Dexter could know. Right. And rather than try and fix him or send him away so that he couldn't harm anybody, he gives him the tools, so to speak. <laughs> to to deal with it, the metaphorical tools. Yes, Dexter, Dexter finds his own literal tools yes, later. He, he has an interesting toolkit. Mm-hmm. He has a sister who's Harry's biological daughter. Her name is Deborah. Both Dexter and Deborah work for the Miami Police Department. Dexter is a blood spatter expert. Spatter. Yes. Not splatter. Not splatter. And if you're confused about that, we have a whole other episode on that particular topic. Yes, we do. Blood spatter. Blood spatter. Our staircase episode went pretty (laughs) in-depth talking about spatter versus splatter and the possible... Inaccuracy. Yes, thank you. Yes, the the possible uh, that it's not as much of a science as many blood spatter experts would have you believe, and certainly not as the show would show it. In fact, I couldn't help but think of our episode and all yes. of our discussion as as Dexter is revealing himself as the expert of blood spatter, and I kept going, ah, yeah, me ah. too. But you're cute, so we'll let you keep going. Uh It's fiction, so we're just going to let it go. His sister, Deb, is an officer in Vice, and she desires to be in Homicide. We know that most co-workers like Dexter very well, except for Sergeant Dokes. And Dexter's girlfriend, Rita, she's a single mom with two kids who kind of has some PTSD from an abusive ex. And she is adorable. She is adorable and so sweet. And yeah, Dexter is good at faking his emotions, but he doesn't really feel emotions. And so sometimes he misses a joke because he doesn't really understand the emotions. So we have a couple of examples of that, which I really enjoyed. (laughs) I can tell because you're giggling. (laughs) So there's a body found drained, bloodless, and dismembered in a pool. Everybody's kind of like not super shocked. I mean, a little bit, but not super shocked. It's a day in the life of homicide Mm -hmm. investigators. And so there's a fellow forensic team member, Mizuka, who makes lewd comments all the time. And we, we are introduced to that from the very first time we see him on screen, which is when they're in this pool. And Mizuka says to Dexter about his adopted sister, boy, Deb's looking hot. And Dexter doesn't get it and replies, she should. It's hot out here. Yeah, it's Miami. <laughs> of course like, she's hot. Uh-huh, he doesn't get the... He has a lot of bless your heart moments. Yeah, Yeah, he does. We have another one. So Dexter and a uniformed police officer at a crime scene, and Dexter is recreating the blood spatter with red yarn and explaining to the police officer how he's 
doing his investigative work. And so the police officer says, so we're looking for a sushi chef because the guy was kind of an expert with the knife. And Dexter just it doesn't get the joke. Well, he might be a sushi chef, but I don't think that's really who we're looking for. The police officer was never suggesting no. that they were looking for a literal sushi chef. It was just, you know, a guy who's really good with a knife. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it goes right over his head. Yeah, exactly. There are a bunch of bodies discovered, chopped up and bloodless all over Miami. So this serial killer, we quick, quickly learn, is toying with both police and Dexter. And they deem him the ice truck killer based on... The evidence. The evidence that they have. We are left at the end of the episode knowing that the ice truck killer knows that Dexter is also a serial killer, which I'm like, is there like a LinkedIn for serial killers? How does he know? I know. (laughs) Like this radar, this echolocation for other serial Uh killers. There it is. It (laughs) kind of brings up this weird, like, how? How? But... On the other hand, you know, learning that Dexter is a serial killer, because his, his narration throughout the episode, you you learn that he knows he's a serial killer. This is yes. what he does. This is how his his foster father, who he always calls foster father, my foster dad. Even though he was adopted when he was under 10. Yeah, like really little. And so he always talks about the fact that he's a serial killer. So you really know that Dexter knows who he is. And so when this other serial killer shows up, it's interesting to watch Dexter kind of respond to the fact that there's a serial killer. And then to watch that other serial killer reach out to Dexter, yeah. it was like, ooh, somebody yeah. knows me. Somebody kn- somebody like knows me, knows me. They yeah. know me in a... Very interesting yeah. thing to reveal in the first episode. Yes. I thought it was a lot to reveal. They, a lot happens in this episode. It just you sets know, it, up the whole thing. It makes me realize how poorly a lot of pilots are written now. Uh-huh. Because I can't tell you how many different shows... I've watched and I'm like, well, I watched the first two episodes and I just couldn't get into it. And somebody will tell me, oh, keep watching. It gets better. This proves, this show proves that you can have a whole lot happen and be, have an interesting pilot that tells you a lot and moves quickly and is interesting that you don't need as much setup before you get into the story. Yeah, you shouldn't need that much. But, you know, we, I'll, learn, I'll learn their backstories as we go along. Tell me a story. Tell me a story now. And, yeah. and give me what I need to know so that I'm not just sitting here unnecessarily confused. Right. You know, but like you, the, the show that we watched, right. we didn't know. No. We didn't know his kind of where he was going to end up, right? Well, we didn't know his whole backstory. We or... didn't, but it was just as riveting, right, from the from the first. Yes. And in this one, we know Dexter is a serial killer. And that, that propels it because we're going to talk about his escapades as a serial killer. And we're going to dive deeper into the psyche, the human right. psyche and all of that kind of and stuff. And we get his backstory. It's revealed to us slowly. So we kind of get to know him. It's kind of like how you get to know anybody. Right. Like you if know? telling people you were a serial killer was like a normal thing. <laughs> yeah. They'd be like, what do you do? Well, I'm a blood spatter expert and um, I'm a serial killer uh-huh. as a hobby. Yeah. I'm pretty good at it, though. Might yeah. take it professional. Not sure. Uh-huh. If I were to tell you that, you know, and then you'd learn about me later. Yeah. 
I'm not, yeah, by no, the way, a no. serial killer or a blood spatter expert, if that's really a thing. <laughs> I think it can be a thing, but it can't be the only thing. Yeah. I think that's where we... And he's kind of a rock star. He's, Nobody can close their case without Dexter's blood report. Yeah. Do you have the spatter report? Yeah. 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 But it's really... Not the fact that he's a blood spatter expert that makes no, them close cases. It, it, no, it's a serial killer expert. <laughs> <laughs> so Dexter comes home at the very end of the episode and finds a doll head stuck to the outside of his freezer, mimicking the head that was thrown at his car earlier in the episode. Go watch it. And he opens the freezer door to find the doll's body dismembered in the freezer. Wrapped up with little bows. Which he had, like, almost nothing in his freezer. Like, shouldn't a single guy have a few more freezer meals in there? You would think. But maybe he just goes out to eat all the time. Well, I understand that. All right. So let's talk about some stuff that can happen. Can it happen? Does it happen the way that it happened in the show? Let's talk about that after a quick break. I am Dave, Geek of Eternia and Guardian of the Secrets of Castle Grayskull. I am Sarah, his fearful friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to us the day we held aloft our microphones and said, By the podcast of Grayskull! Together we defend Castle Grayskull. From the evil forces of Skeletor. So Dexter tells us that the people he works with are great... But basically, they don't solve crime very well. They're not very good at that. So he says that just 20% of the murders in this fictional version of Miami get solved. And I thought, I wonder how that stacks up to real life. Yeah, that is a very interesting Mm. thing to look at. So... Did you find anything? Well, I couldn't find numbers specific to 2005-2006 when the show started. So my sources are a little more recent, but okay, we're going to start off with U.S. A shocking number of U.S. murders went unsolved in 2017. So there was an FBI report that found about 40% of killings nationwide went unsolved in 2017. That's horrible. It's, it's really bad. That's um, horrible. Wait, I'm still shocked. What? Mm-hmm. I thought, I thought we, we... I thought we had like wait, I'm gonna stammer so, for a second. I thought we had like like universities that taught how to do this and we have all career fields and like a butt ton of money spent uh-huh. and forty percent. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. So a uh, FBI considers a murder case cleared when a person's arrested, charged, and turned over to the court, or this is what makes it even more shocking, when a Offenders are identified, but can't be arrested because they're already dead or can't be extradited or something like that. So that is included in the 60%, quote unquote, 60% of solved cases. Wow. Yeah. So I'm trying to stack this up for like what I actually thought. I guess I expected that we would only have about... Well, maybe 20%. Maybe I really did expect that that to be kind of true, but it's twice that much. You thought that there would only be 20% unsolved. Right. So what Dexter is saying is in Miami, they only solve about 20% 
of the murder cases. Oh, okay. Maybe I heard yeah. that wrong. Okay. Yeah. So he said they only solve about 20%. Oh, that's way worse. Okay. I thought he yeah, said. So oh. they don't solve 80% of okay. them. So I was like, I'm a little shocked that in real life in 2017, you know, only 61% or something yeah. like that of murders are solved. That that's is a, tr- a little troubling, but okay. You know, maybe with the internet, people are getting better. So I wanted to look at what Miami, how how that stacks up. Yeah, because, I, you know, nationwide. if you're looking at the whole U.S., you got yeah. some people who are bringing down the curve. Well, you know what I'm saying? Well, and in their defense, big cities are much better at solving crime because they have big police departments. Mm-hmm. The smaller the city gets, the less likely they are to solve a murder. Which is silly. Because I feel like it should be like a swing. Like we should have a really good solve rate in really big cities and in really small cities. And it's medium sized cities that should like have the biggest problem. Nope. It's the tiny little towns with tiny little one or two man police departments that don't get their crime solved. But I feel like you could call Betty down the street and be like, what did you hear? Because they know all 10 people. You would think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, there are 300 people in the town, and everyone goes to one of two churches, yeah. and everyone's on one of three bowling leagues. Exactly. I feel like that should be the easiest fish-in-a-barrel situation ever. Nope. You know that my grandmother used to get wrong numbers at her house. She'd answer the phone and say, hello? And they'd ask for somebody else, and then she'd go, oh, wait, Doris, is that you? Uh, <laughs> oh, Betty, did I call you? Yes, you did. Oh, well, you're looking. Well, I have her number. Let me just look that up. And then 30 minutes later, after they stopped talking, Doris would call or whatever, whoever they were supposed to call. And it was like, yeah. Yeah. So if you didn't know somebody's number, you could just randomly punch it in and get whoever you knew. Mm-hmm. That's hysterical. Yeah. In December of 2018, the Florida... Department of Law Enforcement published a mid-year 2018 crime statistic, and it showed that Miami-Dade County solved the lowest percentage of reported crimes of any county in the state. Now, this wasn't specifically about murder, but of all crimes, they solved just 15.4% of crimes in Miami-Dade. That's horrid! It's it's not, and good. I you know I misunderstood what Dexter said because I I thought you it was thought the they solved eighty percent right I thought you know? I probably thought you know we could do better I really did and now that I understand that he said the opposite I'm appalled right and now well because it made a perfect place for him to quote unquote hone his craft and he totally said that in the show I think yeah. I just was so yeah. shocked by the thought that uh-huh. I. Transposed yeah, you, it. Yeah, you like flipped it in your brain flipped so it. that it would be less. But legitimately, yeah, in 2018, they're insane. solving only about 15%. Almost 85% of crimes go completely unsolved. Oh, man. Uh huh. Yeah. 2017, 198 murders were reported in Miami Dade County, 71 resulted in arrest, which means 64%. So better. And they beat the national homicide clearance rate by a little bit. They solved, solved, quote unquote, they had a clearance rate because clearance and solved are maybe a little different. Right. Of 64%, whereas the national is 61%. That is not a big difference. I know, but still. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have 
Uh, expectations managed now. <laughs> yes. About, yeah, if your loved one's murdered, you have some... Uh, I will not become a serial killer. Yeah. I will not become a serial yeah. killer. Now, Dexter's clearance rate, much better. <laughs> yeah. Much better because um, he goes after these people. These people. That's what we learned in this first episode. So when he goes after Donovan, see, we realize that Donovan is a child molester and killer. Right. And so and so we realize, oh, he has a he has a type, and mm-hmm. his type are horrible people. Yes. And so he has an ability to to take care of this. And I, I understand a little bit better now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we're <laughs> gonna get to that in just a minute. We've got Ooh, you've um, got more stuff on I, that, huh? I, I do. First, I wanna, I'm kind of going in order of the episode. So we're going to talk about this real quick, and then we'll get to the Code of Harry in just a second. Okay. okay. So we see Dexter at work on the scene in what Sergeant Dokes has deemed the Cokehead murders. He made a decision about what happened in this particular scenario mm-hmm. and is having a hard time letting go of that. So I found a website that talks about the science of Dexter. Which I thought was really cool. And they talk about that specific scene where they're in the... With the string With and the string in the crime scene. Yeah. And Dexter's explanation is very convincing. He's got all these visual aids. It gives the impression that blood is very predictable. But we know that it's less predictable from our looking yes. at it during the staircase. So there is a report by the National Research Council that explained that fluid dynamics are complex and blood spatter analysis carry enormous uncertainties is how they put it. It can be informative, but again, there's still there's a lot of uncertainties that you know, not everybody's blood vessels form exactly the same way. Right. If you're you may have turned in a way that's unexpected that can change things and make things different. So scientific studies, okay, so this report from the National Research Council says scientific studies support some aspects of blood stain pattern analysis. One can tell, for example, if the blood was spattered quickly or slowly, but some experts extrapolate far beyond what can be supported, yeah. which is exactly why all of that evidence by the blood spatter expert in the staircase was thrown out in a bunch of cases. Because Dexter creates this cohesive narrative, we believe that Dexter has performed a lot of experiments and therefore he is very reliable and while other blood spatter experts might extrapolate too far, we are led to believe Dexter doesn't do this. The author of this article says, however, I have to point out one important flaw in Dexter's analysis. Though he describes the stabbing that probably caused the blood pattern, he does not mention the variabilities that are associated with wounds of this kind. Not only should Dexter have communicated these variabilities to the police officer at the crime scene, but he should also explain them thoroughly when testifying in court. So I think that's fair. Well, and of fair. course, I was thinking about that the whole time. I'm like, well, he says that, but couldn't it have happened differently? Yes, it could have. Well, but the whole time you're thinking about the, that. Yeah. But he does have this report that he has to give. So you kind of, it does imply that like, that in the report, that's where all of those things would be listed out. But the cops are going to him to get like direction. Right. They're not asking him exactly 
you know, oh, that's what you said? Great, it's done. Like, right. they're, like, trying to get direction. Well, and Dokes almost wants to prove him wrong because yeah. he finds Dexter creepy. Yeah. I have to say, fair. Yeah, he's not wrong. No, but I can see how most people wouldn't be too creeped out by Dexter. Well, right. Because it's a television show. It's a television show. <laughs> we can tell you be creeped out and you not be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think Dokes has a has an interesting perspective. He's just really mean. And it, he, he targets mean. him so badly in the first episode that you're kind of like, who the hell are you? Yeah. Yeah. Back off. You know, like. Back off. He's our hero, even if he is a serial killer. It's a little bit. Like, he goes so far that I, I don't like the good cop more than I don't <laughs> like the serial killer. I mean, so I feel like if you're got a, if you've got a, a knowledge or something, this is the lesson to be learned. Don't go about it in such a way that people would rather like a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> then hear the truth from you. That you got bigger problems. That's just how it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Life lessons. Yes. So we get to the code of Harry. Yes. Yes. Which we mentioned briefly before. Harry. Bless his heart. Poor, poor Harry. In in some ways. Poor Harry, but also maybe not poor Harry. Yeah. He's, he's trying really hard to really love his kid unconditionally. And this is a fairly unconventional way of loving your child unconditionally is I'm going to teach you how to be a serial killer and not get caught and maybe try and find some ethical balance. It's really hard because this is exactly what, so we find out, like we mentioned, his type is people who are horrible people. Well, this is all Harry's doing. Harry channels the type by telling him there are some people who deserve it and some people who don't. and, And you've got to, only go after people who deserve it because then that that makes you morally okay. Uh, Anyways, less uh, less morally suspect. Well, I don't know. So I get what Harry's trying to do, but I got problems with it. Okay, well let's go over what the uh, what the code of Harry is, and then tell me what problems you have with that. Okay, so Harry tells Dexter that he has to channel his destructive behavior to have a positive outcome. As you mentioned, to find people who deserve it that the police might not otherwise be able to catch with their 20% solve rate. (laughs) (laughs) He's not wrong, see? Okay, that's fair. Uh He needs to learn to spot the bad ones, which is good because Dexter seems to already have a, a bit of a natural talent for finding the bad ones because he can see his own kind, sort of. Go back to the serial killer LinkedIn. Right. Um, <laughs> he's got to go look him up. Uh, he's got to cover his tracks. And that he has to remember remember that he's loved. That's sweet. It, it is sweet. Yeah. So It's creepy. Creepy. But sweet. I mean, <laughs> it takes loving your children unconditionally to a level that most people never have to achieve. Okay. So this is my issue. Okay. All right. My issue is that Harry seems to be doing something that is unconditional love, but it actually benefits Harry. How so? He gets to solve crimes he couldn't solve. Oh. See, there's a little bit of a, oh, oh there's, a, I can't, there's a way. I can't quite prove that this guy. But I know but that I my know son can tell, and we can prove it together in a way that we can know, but mm-hmm. maybe not legally. And mm. and my son will take care of it. There is a little bit of a vengeance being 
carried out vicariously through Dexter. And so a little piece of the is like, well, Harry might see him and say, okay, you need to channel it for good. That doesn't mean you have to teach them how to be the best serial killer against other bad people. Maybe it's we channel that for good, and then we also get you therapy so you don't kill people. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there was a little bit of a, hmm, yeah. maybe this can be, I can create my own superhero. <laughs> I feel like that's a little selfish. Is this really what's best for his son? Hmm. Is, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. So I don't know. I problem. think he was, he was concerned about pulling uh, professionals into it because it meant probable likely institutionalization of Dexter and he didn't want that for Dexter. Well, maybe, but it was a different day and age when Dexter was younger. And so I can understand that, but yeah, but that's my thought is it feels a little, it feels a little uh, manipulative. Mm -hmm. So I came across a description of what Dexter kind of is. He's a mission killer. He has a mission that he's going to fulfill now, he's a killer, and he could have been just a killer, but Harry gives him the code, and that makes him a mission killer. He's mission-oriented. He seeks to possibly improve the world on his own biased and self-serving standards and tar- targets a specific group of individuals. Yes, he does. He targets other murderers, which... Man, it's sticky. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't believe in vigilante justice, but it sure makes for an entertaining television show. It really does. I can't. I couldn't believe how often I was rooting for Dexter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, oh. so visionary killers are a little bit different. They often hear voices and are mentally ill. Mission-oriented serial killers are very rarely clinically insane. They are likely to be perfectionist and compulsive. They are typically stable, gainfully employed, long-term residents of the area in which they kill. They do it typically in a ritualistic manner, which describes our quote-unquote hero quite well. Uh, Where it differs from mission killers in this context is that usually mission killers find that they've they're actually helping their victims because once they kill them, they've absolved them of their sin. And Dexter's not like that. He's just, he's got a framework in which he chooses his victims rather than really an altruistic motive. Right. Cause his mission wasn't innate. No, he it inherited was, it. It was given to him. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's a little different, but that's what makes him interesting because He's a serial killer who has complete control over his faculties, understands he has a disorder, understands it's not only not normal, it's actually a bad thing, and he has learned how to to make it into something good for the sake of self-preservation. Right. You know? Yes. Interesting. So... Let's talk a little bit about the psychology behind the show. I love this part. I know. (laughs) There's psychopaths. Who will use their emotional intelligence to harm others. I don't know if Dexter's really a psychopath. Maybe. I I don't know. I don't know exactly how to define that because I'm not a clinical person. Well, and he's a fictional character who kind of breaks the mold, so to speak. So, uh, you know, it is hard to classify him, but that's kind of the whole 
journey you take with him. And it sheds a bit of light on the fact that it's not easy to just categorize. You can't just like, oh, you have a broken leg because your leg's broken. Oh, you're a psychopath because... Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Because you have these traits of a psychopath. Yeah. And they... So it's a little bit... Yeah. It's a little bit more fluid than that. It takes a lot more um, flexibility in how it presents and it's... uh, It's just harder. It's just harder. Yeah. So this article talks about how complex it is. They tend to have antisocial behavior, arrogance, deceitfulness, a lack of emotional empathy, and it's not uncommon. And most of the time when you think about emotional intelligence, you think about like empathy and how, you know, that's generally a good thing. Mm -hmm. And there's a dark side to emotional intelligence that psychopaths tend to use for themselves. Uh, Professor Robert Hare was studying psychopaths and learning what made them tick. And he described psychopathy as uh, dimensional. And that gives them the opportunity to kind of blend in. So he says, there are people who are partway up the scale, high enough to warrant an assessment for psychopathy, but not high enough up to cause problems. Often there are friends. They're fun to be around. They might take advantage of us now and then, but usually it's subtle and they're able to talk their way around it. There's a great book. Um, Uh It's a Harvard Press release. It's called Almost a Psychopath. They have an entire series called Almost a whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. Because this is the problem is that in psychology, what we're kind of learning over time is that, that as much as we want it to be scientific, as in, hey, here's parameters, here's normal, you're not in that parameter of normal, therefore. But, uh-huh. but the problem is that there are so many factors involved that right. it is kind of dimensional. So, for instance, if you look at the DSM-5 now, you can still see where there's a list of, of personality disorders, say um, borderline okay. personality disorder, avoidant personality disorder, these types of things. But in the back, there's a new way of classifying, which says we're not going to give a category and say you have to meet all this criteria to have hit that category. What we're going to say is what we have determined, what we actually have some understanding of is that there are a certain amount of different kinds of personality and behavioral traits. And where you land on those traits creates a profile that may be similar to other people in this profile. And what does that look like? And, and from that profile, if you are outside of kind of normal on, on this trait dimension, this trait, this trait, this trait, but not this trait and this trait, then what you have now is a profile of somebody who, have, who has some disorder, but it's customized. The diagnosis is like almost customized to the individual. Ooh, you know, yeah. it makes it a little easier to treat because say you, say you do have somebody who has um, borderline personality disorder and, and they are, are big on these kind of traits over here in this basket, but they're not so much over here. Well, then you can just really focus and you can use their good traits to help. It's just, I don't know, it provides a way to help a bit more and it's a little bit more artistic. <laughs> it's a little bit more artistic in my opinion. It's a yeah. bit more artistic um, than saying, hey, if you have borderline, then you should have all of these things because then what if you don't have two or three of those? Right. And then almost, yeah, almost, you're, you're almost a psychopath. Right. You're almost. There's 40 things and you have 19. So technically you don't right. qualify. You don't qualify, but you, you do and you but, need help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting way to look at it, but, um, 
but it does. It's and this guy Dexter, he's definitely he has his own little custom diagnosis. I think he's got because he's also very much works on certain of his traits. Yes, yes. his emotional intelligence is is learned, right? Not innate. And I think that's the key. So there was uh, Dr. Christian Kaisers. He was a professor of social neuroscience at the University of Amsterdam, and he did a whole bunch of studies with psychopaths and his conclusion after his studies was this psychopathic individuals do not simply lack empathy instead it seems as though for most of us empathy is the default mode however for the psychopathic criminals of our study the empathy seemed to be a voluntary activity much like Dexter, it was a learned activity. If they want to, they can empathize. And that explains how they can be so charming and sometimes so manipulative. And they are people with, with psychopathy and, and even antisocial behavior, which, by the way, is not people in trench coats who are not social <laughs> no, butterflies no. and true antisocial behavior. These people can be extremely charming. Yes, Yes. All right. So how can you tell a sociopath from a psychopath? Now, of course, this is not medical advice. You shouldn't diagnose anybody from, you know, a five minute segment of a podcast. <laughs> you shouldn't, or even from your own internet research. This is more like a guide to help you like protect yourself. It's informational and understanding the differences. But I'm telling you, if, if you heard Christy say that and you immediately thought of somebody and now your ears are pricked, Turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> because we're not here to, to, to help you win a fight with your husband. Or... No. no. <laughs> but, you know, I've done that. You know, you're sitting in church and the pastor's talking and they're like, you know somebody who needs fixing? And I'm thinking, yes, I do. Tell me. Uh, yes. Tell me more about that. <laughs> oh, wait, yes. that's me. Yeah. Oh. I'm the one who needs oh. fixing. Yeah. Okay. Exa- exactly. Okay. I got you're not it. supposed to be thinking of other people. You're supposed to be thinking of yourself. <laughs> but that's but a- they never say that from the pulpit. And I wish they would a little bit more. Because <laughs> we need to be reminded of mm-hmm. it more. Sociopaths and psychopaths have some common traits. Yes, they do. So they tend to have a disregard for laws and social norms. They disregard the rights of others. They don't feel remorse or guilt. And they may display violent behavior. So those are things that they have in common. So sociopaths tend to be more nervous and volatile and prone to emotional outbursts. They, they might be uneducated, live on the fringes of society because they haven't been able to incorporate themselves very well in. They may or may not be able to form attachments with other people in the eyes of others most of the time, sociopaths will appear disturbed. Psychopaths, on the other hand, they may not be able to form emotional attachments or feel real empathy, but they're able to be charming and disarming and blend in really well. And they learn to mimic emotions, even if they can't feel them. They'll seem normal to people. Psychopaths are often well-educated and hold steady jobs. And psychopathy can actually be a trait of sociopathy, okay. which is interesting overlap, which is Ooh, there's a lot of discussion about whether that. sociopath is actually a, a real thing. Okay. Um, because sociopath and antisocial are almost exactly the same, Okay, except some would say what makes a sociopath 
different is that you add psychopathy. Oh. So okay. you have a, so you have an antisocial and then psychopathy is antisocial plus psychopathy. All right. Okay. So it can you have psychopathy without having antisocial? Yeah. Okay. No. Not really. Not really. I say yes but no. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to dimensional. <laughs> um See, okay, so let's talk about then antisocial though. Okay. We're not talking about people who don't like people who are right. introverts. And that is a common misnomer. But right. in culture, we kind of joke about, oh, I'm being antisocial today. You're literally just being antisocial. Right. You just don't want to be around people. Right. And some people are introverts. They don't want to be around people. They don't like people very much. That's you know? not antisocial. That's not antisocial in a clinical sense. We're talking about antisocial as in really opposed to social order opposed to things that keep society mm-hmm. safe. We're talking about opposed to peace and calm. We're talking this is why antisocial behavior. We we do have people like for instance school shooters who who show antisocial behavior, but it's not because they're dark and brooding. Right. <laughs> it's not because they're introverts. That's not the antisocial. Right. Right. It's that they're they have an actual So for instance, the Joker is antisocial. Yeah, but he's like, he loves being the center of attention. There you go. But he loves chaos. And he loves to destroy he's, social order. Right. He loves it. He's a friggin' psychopath. He's antisocial. Literally. He hates the social norms. Okay. There are some people who are psychopaths who definitely have some sort of dimension of, of kind of that delusion, of that disregard. Mm. But they don't necessarily just want to mix it up about a bunch you know what i mean they're right. just they're there's just di- self they're just narcissistic well and there's a difference between like self-preservation and not wanting to engage and wanting to try and break the system right there's a little bit of a difference okay. and i would say that that actually antisocial is probably very common with psychopathy i mean okay but uh but i think it's you don't i think you can have some psychopathy without antisocial being like off the charts abnormal. Okay. Maybe a little. Okay. You know, in the way okay. that like heroes are. Oh, right. Yeah. Heroes are not okay with the status quo. But right. That they use it for good. Right. Right. Dexter is a superhero. Just kidding. <laughs> that's my logic for today. No. Um, but you know, I, th- that's why we have to think dimensionally. Yeah. Because it's not like a, a binary. Yes, you are antisocial. No, you are not. It's much more complicated mm-hmm. than that. But it is interesting because the whole sociopath is is a term that is kind of uh, is it on its way out kind of way on its way out some people still use it and there's some great um writings about what makes a sociopath and in it you'll see antisocial and psychopathy as kind of what makes Uh a sociopath okay and they do they look a little bit more disturbed they can also be super super charming just like a psychopath Mm. they can turn Mm. it on but they can also give you the creeps like Dexter gives dokes. Like uh, Dexter gives dokes, but no one else. Yeah. He doesn't give anybody else the creeps. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, mm. Whereas like the guy from you, uh-huh. he definitely gives you the creeps and yet he's charming. It's really obnoxious. Yeah. He's yeah. a really good actor. Yeah. Oh, Penn Bagley. Yeah. He's, he's good. Penn Bagley's character in you was not completely dissimilar to his character in Gossip Girl. Mm-hmm. Now, he was less murderous in Gossip <laughs> <laughs> But not completely dissimilar. Well, so he but I wouldn't say he's... He has a talent for it. Yeah. We're not saying that he is a sociopath. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. But it's super interesting. I don't know what Dexter is. Yeah. Well, and I think that because he's a fictional character, it's hard to really diagnose him. And 
I mean, it's hard to diagnose people when you're they're it's, sitting right in front of you because so you have to believe what they tell you. It's so true. And it's hard to know. That's what I love about this with the inner monologue because we get to kind of hear a bit of their... His well, thinking yeah. around it. He, and I don't get the impression, I've mentioned this before, I had a college professor who said, you should always ask, who is this bastard and why is he lying to me? <laughs> and I don't ever feel like I'm lied to by Dexter's inner, inner monologue. Right. I don't think so either. He, it feels very honest. It does feel very honest. Cool. Yeah. Let's talk about the for real stuff. <laughs> like, how does this relate to the world we live in? So Dexter has a job in law enforcement. What are the preferred jobs of serial killers and psychopaths? I love it. Somebody's actually studied this, which I think is kind of amazing. And very often these people will have jobs that seem not just innocuous, but virtuous. Mm -hmm. Like Dexter has a job with the police department helping solve murders. They're actually pretty linked people who are serial killers are overrepresented in some in particular some professions yeah yes. so over the last 50 years patterns have emerged the top three skilled serial killer occupations they have they're a skilled worker they're an aircraft machine machinist or assembler they're a shoemaker or a repair person or an automotive upholsterer these are like the jobs that when they looked at all the jobs of the serial killers, those are the ones that came up, which seems random. Yeah, but say those again. Go down that list again because I just, what? <laughs> An aircraft machinist. That's terrifying. Uh-huh. Uh, a shoemaker or repair person. Pause. Shoemaker? Is this like a Mad Hatter situation? Are they using chemicals? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is so, what? What? That's an interesting correlation. It, it, it is. Okay. Or an automobile upholsterer. Now, that is strange. You know, there's a certain amount of craft and, like, stitching stuff together. So, a semi skilled <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All okay. right. Yeah. So, a semi-skilled serial killer occupation. Forestry worker or an arborist. Which makes sense because, you know, <laughs> don't go into the woods. Well, They're all familiar with the woods. Uh, a truck driver or a warehouse manager, which I'm, I don't, okay. It's just interesting. I would love to know what the confound is that connects those jobs. Uh, yeah, me, me too. <laughs> and I, I think that they don't quite know. They don't talk about they it. They don't know yet. We'll so, look it up. an unskilled serial killer occupation would be a general laborer. Okay. You know, like just somebody who does like construction work or whatever. A hotel porter and a gas station attendant. Oh, yeah. What, Which those, the hotel porter and the gas station attendant, those are transient. You're dealing with transient sort of people. That really makes sense to me. It does. It makes a little bit more sense. It's uh -huh. You get to be a people watcher yeah. in those situations. Yes. But I don't know how you watch people when you're like stapling upholstery in a car. I don't. Then it's just, I, I'm stuck on the shoemaker and the upholsterer. Well, maybe because, like, if you're repairing shoes, again, people don't come in for that all the time. So you're learning, you may, I think you can probably learn a lot about people who repair shoes rather than just buy a new pair of shoes. There's something there. Interesting. There's something and about the people. Oh. Maybe there's something about the people. And an automobile upholsterer, 
You know, that's a specific sort of job. You're dealing with a specific sort of clientele who's willing to put in money to have their upholstery redone in their car. So we're not talking about like assembly line kind of upholstering. We're talking about like aftermarket custom kind of Uh, jobs. That's my impression. I'm not certain of that, but that's my impression. Basically, it's one of those hiding in plain sight kind of people. Yes. The people who are part of our society but kind of ignored. Speaking of hiding in plain sight, the professional or government serial killer occupations, police or security official, military personnel, and religious official. You know, places um, of control. Uh-huh. Places yeah, of where control. they're dealing with a lot of different people, a lot of different kinds of people on a regular basis. So, Where their lack of feeling does them kind of well in some ways. That's fair. You Makes know, because them good at their job. It does because mm-hmm. if you're too emotionally invested, you can't uh, do those jobs well. Right. Okay. You have to have some sort of separation. Mm-hmm. So obviously, we're not suggesting that people in these professions are likely serial killers no. or even likely to become serial killers. They are a very tiny segment of the population. Right. Looking at the pool of data that we have about serial killers and what their jobs were, these are the ones that came up most often, that they seem to gravitate towards these kinds of Right. Things. It's not about the profession drawing somebody. It's about a person being drawn to something. Right. But yeah, it's like banana logic. Yeah, yeah. All, all bananas are fruit, but not all fruit are bananas. And yes. we have to make sure we, we keep those separate in yes. our minds when we look at these kind of correlations and relationships between things, because we're not really looking at the job. What we're looking at is what makes them better at those jobs so that we can yes work on those people. Yeah. Not because of the jobs. <laughs> it's not. The, yeah. The, the people are gravitate towards those kinds of jobs. Right. For example, Dennis Rader, who was BTK. Uh, worked for ADT and the police department. It, you know, it was he was right under their nose the whole time. Right. Yeah. And now there's new research that suggests leisure leisure activities as the job market changes. Leisure activities are becoming maybe more indicative. So it depends on your kind of online interactions and do you like music and. This is maybe how they're finding their victims now, whereas they used to need a job in security or police force or a general labor or gas station attendant. Now they can maybe do it online. There's an app for that. Yeah, exactly. There should not be an app for that. No. Then there's psychopaths, too. So they looked at not just serial killers professions, but they looked at the professions of psychopaths. And I thought this was kind of interesting Number one, let me guess, it's CEO. It is. Good job. Nicely done. Then there's lawyer, media personality, salesperson, surgeon, journalist, police officer, religious official, chef, a civil servant of some kind. Chef? Chef. Yes, like the the guy, the... Top top chef for... There's some uh, Hell's Kitchen show... Where the guy is like, but he's really also mean a media people. personality. He's also yeah. an entertainer, though. Yeah, he's double. He's double. But chefs, like just in general, yeah, they're like pretty unfeeling and driven, and yeah. Smart. Well, see, that's see, that's about taking it dimensionally because these traits, if channeled for good, can make you a fabulous leader. 
you can you can be antisocial and channel it to breaking molds. We're not going to do it this way anymore. So it doesn't mean you have to be a psychopath <laughs> to break the mold and do amazing, wonderful things. No. It just means that like these people tend towards the ambition necessary to get there. You know, and I feel like Dexter didn't need to kill people. He could have just channeled his issues to to solving it better uh-huh. inside the police department. I hope so. But that would have made a much less entertaining television show. Well, so. that's fair. <laughs> so the ice truck killer targets sex workers. It is very common that serial killers do target sex workers. So this particular article is talking about... The Killing Season, which was a show on A&E. It was an eight-part documentary series about the Long Island serial killer, which I hadn't heard of, despite the fact that this was from 2016. Yeah. I hadn't heard about this. Do you know why we haven't heard about him? Why? Because his chosen victims were sex workers. So all low risk and... Yeah. 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 And that... Really, sex workers are seen as expendable. That what did they expect when they put themselves into harm's way? And, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why people enter sex work. And sometimes it is that they're trafficked or they feel like they don't have any other options. But sometimes that's a chosen profession. I'm not going to be judgmental of it. But you're right. But they don't don't deserve to die. Oh, definitely not. No matter what. you're right. In general, when people... This doesn't get publicized Yeah, when people who are in these kinds of jobs. And that's sad. And that's sad. Yeah, it really is. So Gary Ridgway was the Green River killer who was caught in 2001. And he uh, said that he chose prostitutes for a reason. I picked prostitutes as victims because they were easy to pick up without being noticed. I knew they would not be reported missing. I picked them because I thought I could kill as many of them as I wanted without getting caught. And he didn't get caught for a very long time. So it's a shame. And that is a fairly accurate representation that the ice truck killer was choosing prostitutes because they were it's easy. They're easy. They're easy. And they do know. They they know that it won't be publicized the same way. The right. heat won't be put on them the same way. Because vigilante mindsets, in some ways, kind of support it in this weird mass hysteria thing. And we kind of see that later on in the, in the series a right. little bit in Dexter. That they talk a bit about, um, you know, people who kind of support this idea of taking out the trash. Right. And and that's horrible. That just mm. oh it just infuriates me. But but I could see it being low risk being easier for them. So that is actually kind of true then. Yeah, it makes it makes sense. <sighs> so what about serial killers in Miami? Well, I didn't find a specific serial killer in Miami, but there is a serial killer who was recently uh, found to be a serial killer uh, named Samuel Little. He is uh, 78 years old and currently in a Texas prison. Once he was imprisoned for the murders of three women in California, he started confessing to murders all over the country. Ooh. Yes. The FBI has been able to corroborate a lot of his confessions, 30-some of them already. Ooh. Like, he's confessed to 90. What? If he's correct and honest about all of the 90 serial that would make him the most prolific serial killer ever. Ever. That we know of. 
Wow. And they've corroborated at least 34 murders. And they believe, the FBI believes, that at least 12 are Florida murders. And a couple of them were from the Miami area. This guy was picked up uh, many times on small things across the country. DUIs and running red lights and things like that. And he was often jailed for sexual assaults, but served little or no time in prison because awesome. we, we have a really terrible, terrible system of dealing with those kinds of assaults. So, you know, we put the people with a small amount of weed away for a long time and the sexual predators go we'll free. Just put and, them back on the streets. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I have comments about that, but I'm going to keep those to myself today. Yes, we can uh, save that for a whole other episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Christy and Jackie, go off. <laughs> Nobody's going to want to listen to that one but you and me. <laughs> This whole article is really interesting, but they talk about a couple of murders, the deaths of Mary Brosley and Angela Chapman, and Little has confessed to both of those murders in the Miami area in the 70s. So that is Miami's dubious connection to a serial killer. Wow. That I could find. That's crazy. 90. 90. 90. And they've corroborated 34. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a long time. I mean, to be that's active. a lot of unsolved murders too that are Yeah, they do this, their average will go up. <laughs> their clear rate's gonna increase. <laughs> well, if you'd like to see any of the articles that helped inform our discussion today, you can find us on social media on Twitter at Killer Fun Pod, on Facebook. Killer Fun Podcast, the intersection of crime and entertainment, or you can send me an email, killerfunpodcast at gmail.com. So have you watched Dexter? Did you watch it when it was on? Did you catch it on streaming? Are you binging it like we are? You know, do tell us that. And have any of you watched a show like this and had it made you want to be a part of the law enforcement? Oh, that's a good question. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious too, because you know, I when I was a kid, I really wanted to be FBI. Oh, yeah. Actually, when I was grew up in Georgia, I really wanted to be GBI. Like, yeah. You know, and I guess I, I'm not at all law enforcement, but I'm still kind of interested in the, you know, psychology of uh, and criminology and, and all of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. from a distance. But yeah, um, it's very interesting. Yeah. And, you know, we have a actually really good training program in our area. The, there's a university just up the road a few miles that has... It's called the Body Farm, which is amazing, and um, I, I think I need to talk with my husband about it. As morbid as it is, um, that I'd really love to have my body donated to the Body Farm because they study how bodies decompose, and it helps law enforcement to understand. And you can do it even if you've had an autopsy or right. different, or you've been an organ donor, because a lot of people think you can't. D- donate your body to the body farm if you've been an organ donor, but you can. So it's pretty cool to help out with the forensics. Yeah. And how cool is that? It's really amazing. That's pretty cool. Well, let us know what you think about Dexter and and let us know um, what you think about the, the true stats there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So next time we're going to watch a movie that I don't think either one of us have seen. It's called the informant. 
starring Matt Damon, and it is on Netflix, and I checked and made sure that it wasn't going off Netflix in May, and it's not listed on the things that are disappearing from Netflix in May. So go watch it. Join us in the discussion. Yeah. It'll be super fun. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be great. All right. Thanks for listening today. We know you have a choice when you listen to podcasts. We don't just come on the radio that you choose to listen to us, and we really appreciate it. Thanks. So join us next time. Uh Bye-bye. Bye. Forge Audio. Dream it. Build it. Share it.